Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello, welcome, and thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and back with me today for the first time in 2024, Chris Miller. Happy 2024 to you. Thanks, Bart. Uh, we're here with Chris Miller, and uh, Chris and I are going to be discussing Tim Cockrell's recent sermon from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. So, Chris, thanks for coming back, and... Uh, it's been a windy day. We're going to try to expend some of that wind here as we get going into <laughs> Second or First Peter. Okay. Well, we'll hope a tornado doesn't happen today. No. We uh, for those of you who are are listening, we uh, just got a through with a tornado warning that uh, severely interrupted my sleep last night. So if we go off uh, off target here, that might be the reason. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Chris, we did start a, a section of Peter's letter three weeks ago that we're in now, in which Peter was defining the people of God. Now, uh, listen to these words, these phrases. We, we read words like living stones, spiritual house, holy priesthood, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how these, these descriptors of the church set us up for this discussion of servants and masters. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you did that because um, all of this uh, that we read in the rest of First Peter chapter 2 is dependent upon exactly what you were talking about. So um, Peter is just piling up terms that anyone familiar with the Old Testament would recognize were originally descriptions of Israel. And all those phrases, holy nation, royal priesthood, those are all there. But let me read the one phrase that you didn't read, which was the purpose for that, which is exactly why you asked me to do this anyway, I'm sure. We do this so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And again, I say that because uh, many people don't remember that the whole reason why God chose Israel was not just to be good to Israel or because he liked Israel or because it was powerful, but that through a tiny little nation, he might proclaim his goodness, his greatness to the rest of the world. So the entire role, the entire purpose for Israel was always to witness to the rest of the world to draw them back to him. And so to take that here, um, Peter is saying, okay, right now, this is the role that the church is fulfilling. And all of these instructions about how to submit and how to relate to employers or masters or whatever are not simply for the, for the sake of submission or for the economic productivity, but for the ultimate reason to proclaim the glories of God so that we might win those people with whom we work and for whom we work. And Tim Cockrell has done a good job of, of reminding us of context. I think mm -hmm. he did that here just this past week, reminding us that this was during the reign of Nero. Uh, never considered one of the uh, one of the nice no. emperors no. Uh, of Rome. And we've got a time where uh, Peter actually is addressing the elect exiles. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, shapes, and forms, these individuals, these churches, and these individuals comprising these churches are exiles. Uh, from whether it's from polite society, whether it's from their homes, uh, we're not totally sure. I don't think, but the indication are that there's they're under some pressures. Yeah, and I think even more so, uh, we're exiled from our ultimate home, 
uh, in Eden, in the new Eden. Exactly. When that whole thing comes here. So uh, I think we're always supposed to recognize we are out of place. We're peculiar people. We recognize that. And so don't be too surprised by that and stop trying to fit in. Well, and, and you referenced one passage here in, in chapter 2, but I'm going to reference another one. I thought you were going here, and that is verse 13, and uh, rather verse 12. He says, I'm, uh, I want you to conduct your con- or keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they mm-hmm. may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Yeah, I think that's exactly the same thing as proclaim the excellency, His excellencies. Yep, good point. Very good. So, okay, so with these last week's uh, last week's message concerning our submission to the government officials that God has placed in authority over us and then move into this week's discussion of of a servant submission to his master one can make the argument perhaps or they could try to make the argument that God is more concerned about the person in authority than the one under authority here's a response yeah i'm not i'm not, not quite sure exactly what you mean by that but let me just say this that God does appoint those people, but he also gives all these commands here for how to respond to them. Yeah. And so what I'm talking about, he's, he's addressing specifically the one who is to be under submission. Right. He's ta- talking here to the uh, to the servants. He's talking last week to the those under the civil authority. He's mm-hmm. going to be talking to wives, mm-hmm. uh, being submissive to the parents. And he's going to be talking to oh, those right. in the church, being submissive to elders. He's yes. talking to them. What about the people in charge? Yes, well, absolutely, they will be held accountable for sure. <clears throat> the, the Gospel of James and everywhere else says that too, right? To whom much is given, much is required. And um, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, especially, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Whether it's the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment, God has justice in mind. Man, I would say in this context, I could even go to Philemon. Uh, Paul graciously implores Philemon to... Mm-hmm. Uh, be gracious himself. Yes, absolutely. Very good. Okay, so I, I know that we need to make sure we're not looking at a teaching like this with a, a, a yeah, but but what about this situation or that situation, mm-hmm. that, that type of an attitude? But let's do look at a couple of those yeah, but instances that may come up in our lives. Okay. I've been there. You've been there probably. Mm-hmm. For example, we periodically hear of labor strikes. Let's talk about labor strikes. Is it wrong for those under authority to seek to gain an advantage in negotiations with their bosses by halting production or halting their whatever they're doing in in a ways that will damage their employer? Mm, uh, that's that's uh, that's a rich question right there. <laughs> and next question, right? Is that what <laughs> no, you're going to say? No, no, no. That's no. That's a great question because that's exactly what we're trying to deal with and think about Christianly. Uh, but I think that's one of the areas that uh, Tim was talking about this last week, um, where, where we are different. We are not slaves. We are employees. And so when we're talking about a free enterprise system, that's a very different situation than these people who actually were slaves and were owned and had to. Or, or even in the Old Testament, which I think is one of the most, most fruitful places for us to look. And that's the story of Daniel and his friends. Uh, whom Jeremiah said, work for the welfare of the city uh, and, and of the country. That That's in your interest as well. And, and that, I think, is one of the closest contexts in the Old Testament to what we're talking about here, where um, Daniel will not violate his conscience, will not violate commands of God, but in every other way he can, he works hard to promote the welfare of those kings, those pagan kings, that he's working for. Now, 
<clears throat> let's let's come back to to your question, and that is, in a free enterprise system, how do those principles translate? Well, I'm not a slave. I'm working here uh, of my own free will for a boss that I would like to be paid more for. So do I have the right to uh, withhold my services? Well, yes, because I was willingly employed and I could be willingly unemployed. unemployed. And I think the thing I have to recognize there is, yeah, I can, I can go on strike and try to put pressure to get a higher wage, but the employer also has the right to fire me too. And you and I can remember way back in the day, the most classic example I can think of is when all the air traffic controllers decided to strike and Ronald Reagan said, well, that's fine. That's your right. And so we'll give you some more time off. Fired all of them and hired new ones. And I have a son who has a father-in-law who gained one of those jobs. Mm -hmm. And we've so, talked a lot about that. Right. So I, th I think in a free enterprise system here, we're, we're, God does not uh, ask us to submit to everything which the slave owner would ask for because this is an employer. It's a different situation. And so there is a, a certain amount of give and take and um, uh, free will involved in that free enterprise system. You mentioned Daniel. Uh, another example would be Joseph. Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily in an, well, he wasn't in an employment situation. He was wrongfully accused, wrongly convicted, mm -hmm. really. He was mm -hmm. jailed. And uh, his spirit, though, was, uh, there's no indication that he did anything but respond in a godly manner. Exactly. He, he did it in a submissive way. He asked for the cupbearer to remember him, and the cupbearer promptly forgot him. And ultimately, God uh, brought the seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, you know, the famine, to providentially answer Joseph's prayer. And save the well, save the, the progenitors of the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. But his rejection was so important in, in a way that he didn't even know. His rejection foreshadows Jesus' rejection. And so he didn't understand it, but God knew in his plan why that was there. Well, getting back to the question of the strike, or it could be any number of circumstances in an employment situation. Mm -hmm. uh, I keep going back, and as we were talking about this in our adult Bible fellowship on Sunday morning, I keep going back of what is your motivation? Mm -hmm. Is my motivation more money? Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily wrong. Right, right. I'm to want to be paid well for my services at market rate. Yeah, especially if it's a fair value. Yeah, fair exactly. value. Mm -hmm. uh, Sometimes we have philosophical differences with mm -hmm. our with our employers. Um, it's not wrong necessarily to espouse those philosophical differences and go to the powers that be and say, "Hey, this is." But when I do it, so that it's is there a wrong way to do that? Is oh, there a right way? Sure, sure, absolutely. And I think you're right in your heart. Whose welfare are you looking out for? And if I, as an employee, say to my boss, I don't think this is the right way to go, and I've said my piece, and he hears it, and then there's a point where I say, okay, I'm going to follow through and do what you asked me to do. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully or that I just can't stand or, to, yes. to move forward with that, and I'm going to submit my resignation. I need to go elsewhere. And that's the honorable thing to do. Exactly. Yeah. And there are a lot of different ways to handle that dishonorably, uh, but we don't need to go into a thousand different ways. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Another instance mm -hmm. may involve a, a Christian being uh, asked to participate in an employment-related task that, that goes against his or her biblical convictions. 
With this scenario, uh, let's talk a little more about what God's Word says that would direct that employee specifically in how to think through that situation. We've talked a little bit about it. We've touched up against it. Mm-hmm. But what would you? how would you say somebody comes to you and says, Chris, I'm just really dealing with this, and I, I don't know what to do. How should I think biblically about this? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, again, there, that Daniel and his three friends are perfect models for us because Daniel... Uh, served, we know this, we know this from the whole story, he served for over 70 years in a place of high administration. Now, we all know that if you serve in a company or a business or even a church (laughs) for 70 years at a high level of administration, you're going to make some people upset. And can you imagine being so good at what you do that Daniel lasts for 70 years? So I just want to say that the, the, the baseline for Daniel's disobedience was a whole lifetime of hardworking, spiritual focus on the welfare of his king. And he did such a good job uh, at it that those occasional places where he was asked to disobey God, where he refused, um, stood out as unusual um, situations. And, and, of course, God blessed him through those two well and blessed the nation and the leaders through Mm -hmm. that as i seem to recall that uh, he's not the one who ended up in the mouths of the lions exactly right and my guess is i wonder if darius got saved over that whole incident and nebuchadnezzar before him uh, yes with the the praying to the idol yes yes daniel has the god whom you serve been able to rescue you Nehemiah strikes me as another individual serving in the court of Artaxerxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the one passage I remember memorizing uh, is in the king, at, it's, uh, I think in chapter 2, verse 4 of Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the king asked me for, uh, what my request was, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Mm-hmm. That, was not, that was a fearsome thing, him even asking Nehemiah, what's your request? Why are you so downtrodden? Why is your yeah. countenance so sad? That was not a good thing to have a sad countenance, countenance in the sight of the king. Right. Nehemiah uh, was taking a chance there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was. So, okay, so throughout this passage, Chris, Peter is talking uh, to servants, or, or in our culture we talked about employees, mm-hmm. uh, the, or those under someone else's supervision or authority. There's another side to this. I, I mentioned about Philemon um, and the, his servant Onesimus. Uh, it seems to be somewhat of a companion to this discussion. What about, let, let's talk to those who are in authority. Mm-hmm. I know God does not withhold that in, in the scripture, as you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. What mm-hmm. are some areas where God specifically is talking to the masters, the boss, mm-hmm. and how to treat their their employees, their, those under their authority. Well, this is one of the things that got Jesus killed, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> when Jesus came to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and uh, called them useless shepherds and unfaithful shepherds and selfish shepherds and said, uh, I'm going to replace you, and he had trained some disciples to do that, this whole idea of shepherding, which we talk about a lot in our church with elders and pastors, uh, that's that's a very Old Testament idea because it's such an apt metaphor for the way leaders care and love and protect and seek the benefit of their people. And and same thing here. I've made it one of my, um, uh, not an outspoken goal because I don't talk to a lot of people about this, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a landlord of some properties. 
And there are there. It's easy in a place like that to take advantage of people. It's easy to provide just the bare minimum, or you could take the advantage. You could take the statement. Now, if I were in their position, how would I want a boss or a landlord to treat me? And what would, what would that look like if it were that way? And I find that when I do that, even as a professor over my students, if I don't treat them as employees, if I treat them as, and again, and again there's so much behind this, but when my children came through, I began to think of my students more as my second children and grandchildren than I did just as customers. And the ability to care for and to shepherd and to really meet those needs is, I think, the mark of, a, of sanctification uh, of a leader or a position, a person in a position of authority. And when I see the story of Boaz and Ruth, and I see the workers of Boaz come to meet him in the field, and their statement is, may Yahweh's richest blessing fall upon you. That speaks volumes to me, that Boaz was the kind of guy who loved his workers so much that when they saw him, their first thoughts were, may God bless you. Because mm. you and I both worked in secular places. We've, we've heard workers talk about the boss and use God's name, perhaps, but not in good ways, right? Because, right. because most, most of the Gentiles lorded over you and used their power to abuse or to use rather than to bless. And so I think as much as we think about being employees of someone who is over us, there are also a lot of people who are probably under us and, and we have influence over um, that we should be thinking about. Now, how am I responding to them? Mm. Uh, am, I making, am I making it easy for them to submit to me? There you go. Right. This morning, uh, I was heading out of the house, and uh, my daughter, Abigail, she said, Dad, and something had been going on in her mind, and she said, Dad, do you like not having a boss? Mm. Now, I'm self-employed, mm -hmm. so-called mm -hmm. self-employed. Yep. I'll explain that in here in a moment. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, I said, um, I do have bosses. You do. In fact, I have a lot <laughs> of bosses. You have a lot of bosses. Uh, at any given time, I might have 5, 10, 20 bosses. Mm -hmm. or they, other people call them clients. Right. But I owe uh, not only a fiduciary duty, but I owe a godly, mm -hmm. God-honoring duty yeah. to them to do the work that I do and do it mm -hmm. to this high level. Um, I have people say, well, you didn't do this, and I'm not perfect, and I admit it, mm -hmm. and uh, getting less so all the time as I learn how imperfect I am. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, I, I have a, a ministry. Mm -hmm. People ask me, well, what, you know, what's your ministry in the church? And I say, my ministry in the church is to be a, the best in my profession I can be. Uh-huh. Huh, right. I want to be one who is known as a, a man of God, mm -hmm. not because I go to church, not because I serve in this position, not because I teach this class or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. but it's because I treat people well. Yes. And so my yes. number one ministry is not here within the walls of where we are recording, mm -hmm. the walls of this church building. Uh, that's my job is with my main ministry is with my clients, mm -hmm. because if I don't satisfy their needs and help them take care of their needs... I'm not doing what I should be doing. Absolutely. And isn't that exactly how Daniel would have described yeah, it as absolutely. well? Which was the foundation for his ministry and his testimony all the other times. 
Let's go to one more thing here before we end. Mm-hmm. Tim has uh, a couple of times mentioned the the idea of our culture. We have a unique culture, just like the Roman culture was a unique mm-hmm. culture. Uh, we are the the offspring, mm-hmm. uh, certainly, well, probably in both of our cases, individuals who were very, you know, in the Constitution of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, really, really a big thing. Sure. And, and it Patriotism was a big thing, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, things change, and and they, but they really the still the same in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Our country was founded on the ideal the ideals of personal liberty, uh, right. life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh-huh. The founders of the Declaration of Independence mm-hmm. uh, from Jefferson's hand. Um, God is really preaching a different message here in the scriptures, isn't he? Or at least he's nuancing it much differently. Yeah, he sure is. And I thought I thought Tim's bringing that out when he first started this was just excellent. Even the quotation he had of Ben Franklin and the uh, the comparison of the United States rebelling against Britain in the same way Israel left Egypt and <laughs> to kind of co-opting that original story. Um, because because it is in our DNA to be independent rebels, and it's sort of a we've we sort of sanctified that and and probably given it more of a a, a biblical tone than it ought to have, and and that's probably not a real it, we we all, we all swim in that culture all the time, but it's probably something we need to be careful about and think about carefully. And this is where I think uh, here next week, uh, or in a couple of weeks or several weeks, we are going to be talking about the the idea of uh, oversight of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, the oversight, uh, the elders at Grace Baptist Church have made decisions, even in the past four years, mm-hmm. uh, weren't always popular. Uh, they had to do with uh, uh, hiding one's face behind a mask mm-hmm. or doing this or not doing that mm-hmm. in, in the face of COVID mm-hmm. and some of the uh, some of the civil authority recommendations or dictates whatever mm-hmm. they might have been in a given time i'm i'm reminded of a conversation i had with another one of our elders here at grace uh who was sharing they come from a different ethnic background at uh-huh. least the father and uh sharing you know he said uh my father being from a japanese background mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i i've had to i've had to get used to some of this uh, individual liberty stuff mm-hmm. because in the japanese culture that was just not what it was, we were submissive to our leaders because they were our leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Not only, and I, I don't pretend to be an, uh, an expert on those things on in Japanese culture, but certainly Middle Eastern and and uh, Jewish culture, very some, very much that way. In fact, very biblical culture. When when Achan steals the Babylonian garments, the text says, "And God was angry with the Israelites." Meaning, there's a corporate nature here that that is not just individuals, but everyone touches everyone else, and everyone is affected by everyone else. And this is the basis for Paul saying, when one part of the body hurts, the other part of the body hurts too, because we that's just a, a kind of a foreign concept for a lot of individualists. It wasn't just Aiken who suffered the ultimate punishment either, mm-hmm. and, that, and there may have been other reasons other than yeah. just they were part of his family, but right. they may have hidden with him, but hidden mm-hmm. the goods with him. But there is the idea, as you say, of a corporate nature mm-hmm. here, and we, we like to, well, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, and I'm answerable to Christ alone. I like to, I like to jibe my students quite a bit, and I say, um, are you your 
your brother's keeper? And of course, the answer is, you betcha. Cain said, no, but he got it wrong. Yeah, you are. You are your brother's keeper. We're, we're a community here, and that's what it means. So Careful where you get your doctrine, right? Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Don't get it from Cain or the Pharisees. No, exactly. <laughs> Next week, we talk about wives and husbands, and I know we haven't uh, uh, discussed this much uh, here, just you and me, before we went on uh, to the microphones today, but... Yeah. Wives and husbands. Yeah. There's a, and it's interesting to me, and maybe I'm getting this all wrong, but it seems to me mm-hmm. Peter's starting, okay, we're talking about government. Mm-hmm. We're talking about where we work. Mm-hmm. Next week we're going to talk about where we live. Mm-hmm. And next time, and the next subject is going to be about where we worship or how we worship mm-hmm. and with whom we worship, mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's getting down to the nitty-gritty here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. As you describe that, uh, I just was think we're talking about the Ten Commandments in reverse. Mm, okay. Because God Do starts tell. out with what we worship, and then he starts out with children obey your parents. Because right. in the home, you learn how to obey the rest of the authorities in your life, the ones that tell you not to murder, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to lie. The Commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly which order. He's, he's kind of coming backwards at it but coming to the heart of it all well tim cockrell if you're listening you take it from there we're (laughs) we're looking forward to the next week we've been digging deeper today though with chris miller chris thanks for being with us yeah glad to mark we invite you to share your questions your comments with us each week you can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org and then join us next time we'll be continuing our study of god's word in first peter chapter three Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.